This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, The Sixth Sense, Season 2, Episodes 2 and 9. I think you may be more upset than you realize. I'm sure I just imagined it. But this time, you said you didn't see Lori. You saw your very own daughter. Well, I'm certain that was because I'd been talking about her. She was on my mind. I'm sure that's all there was to it. You do believe in ESP, in psychic phenomena? I don't know. You see, I've, I've never thought very much about it. Well, you do believe that those who are very dear to us are really never very far away, even those who are no longer with us in the flesh. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that would gladly let an Oscar winner host the show. <laughs> I'm Luke, here's my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Um, I have a couple of things, but first I'll, I'll mention uh, something based on what you just said there. I, I know we're going to talk about it, the slight format change of this show. It's a little bit wild, and I was trying to think if there's anything like that that's ever happened in TV. I can't think of something. Can you think of something where <laughs> they just are like, hey, the star of the show, you're no longer the star of the show. They're like, oh, so I'm fired. They're like, no, 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 you're still here. You're just going to introduce the movie. You're like, oh, Okay. Well, I guess Night Gallery comes to mind, but I guess it wasn't the star before, so... Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the one thing. And then the second thing is um, Jason, who's uh, this, like, like teen from this first episode. Um, I've marked him down, and I'll see if you agree with me. I think he's a cinema's greatest villain, isn't he? Cinema's greatest villain? He did a good job. I will say that. I will say that working against... Spoiler, Joan Crawford really elevated his game. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I'll say this, I'm going to bear the lead here. I think those are two pretty decent episodes. Yeah, and just since we're talking about it and you brought it up here, the idea of um, uh, what we'll see in these episodes is Michael Rhodes will play, the lead character will play no part in any of them. They'll be standalone kind of episodes with two other actors sort of playing Mm -hmm. the lead characters, not Michael Rhodes, but just other characters. He'll never come into it. He kind of just bookends the show with a little introduction and ending. I was also surprised because, you know, season two, we're starting right now. I was like, wow, they changed the format so much. They didn't. He is in every other episode of the episode, season. We just happened to Except watch. Except the ones we watched? Yeah, we just oh. happened to watch the two episodes where they decided to, like, have a little bit of fun with the format. I think there's one more. There's actually one more where he does this. But, like, for the other nine episodes, he's he's it's all business well, as usual. What's interesting about it is that he's not playing Dr. Michael Rhodes. It's not like... He's someone's no, telling him no. a story. He's playing Gary Collins. He's playing himself, the actor who, by the way, in both in both these episodes, he talks to the the lead actress, the guest star who's going to be in it. He talks about ESP as if he is like an expert on it, and they they do like a short little like preamble about their feelings on ESP. I'm like, what is this? It's so insane. I loved it. I was like, great. I don't know what you've done here, but uh, what a what a turn. <laughs> I liked it though. I actually think the the show, and no offense to Gary Collins, but I think the show has a little bit more room to breathe when you don't have to shoehorn him and his investigation. Maybe you disagree with that, but I think this idea of like more of like an anthology thing of like just interesting stories um, that may or may not have like an investigative sort of angle. I think it's a stronger show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, before we get into it, Jordan, why don't we talk a little about the actors on this and play a game? Called Who Did What? 
That's the song. Um, <laughs> so, of course, we have Gary Collins, who plays Dr. Michael Rhodes. We'll, we'll have him as our key. And then I'm just going to do guest stars after that. But before we get to the guest stars, Jordan, I just wanted to ask you a question. How well do you know Gary Collins as, a, as an actor, I guess, or as a celebrity? Not well at all. Well, I was shocked to learn that he has played himself as a cameo in five different TV series. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. He's come on as Gary Collins in five different TV series. Let me guess one. Yeah, go for it. Falcon's Crest. <laughs> <laughs> no. No? Okay. Uh, I will tell. You, I will go through. I'll go through them here for you just so you can get a sense of them. Uh, there was an eight, 1986 episode of Give Me a Break he was playing himself on. Oh, I used to like Give Me a Break. I, I had to look up what it was. I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> He did a 1992 episode of General Hospital as himself. Weird. Weird. In 2003, he was in an episode of Dead Like Me as himself. <laughs> I forgot about that show. I never did see it. In 1999, he was in an episode of Dharma and Greg as himself. <laughs> you know who also weirdly did a cameo in Dharma and Greg? Uh, uh, Bob Dylan. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and in the one that made me think he is a bigger star than we realize... In 1998, he played himself in Friends. <laughs> so weird. Maybe, yeah, maybe I just, I missed the the train on, like, uh, Gary Collins and his stardom. Yeah, I just the number of times he's cameoed at, like, it's such a get that Gary Collins drops by to play himself. That I'm just like, he's on Friends? I, 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 I'm surprised too, but maybe you and I have just, have, we've just missed it. All right. At any rate, we'll get to the game now. So you've got your first guy is going to be Gary Cole and Gary Collins, who plays Dr. Michael Rhodes. Another person you're going to be choosing from is William Shatner, who played Edwin Danbury. Mm-hmm. Then we've got Ann Archer, who also was in the same episode playing Elizabeth Danbury, his wife. You know, Ann I Archer, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then your favorite, Mike Farrell, who played Dr. <laughs> Gil Clark. Yeah, he is my favorite. Yeah. BJ Hunnicutt himself. Cloris Leachman, who played Judith Eaton. Mm-hmm. Joan Crawford, of course, from the first episode we'll watch today, who played Joan Fairchild. Yeah. And then from the second episode we'll watch today, I've got two people here. We've got Dennis Duggan, who played Bill Miller, mm-hmm. who that name probably won't ring a bell, so you're probably like, how is that a cameo? Yeah, I don't I don't know Dennis Duggan, but I if if you know you mentioned Jane Wyman, I'm very I have a tiny bit of knowledge of Jane Wyman. Well, let's John Ashton Ford. I'm going to tell you why he's a cameo. Okay. <laughs> because Dennis Duggan, who plays Bill Miller in the second episode, is the director of the films Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry, You Don't Mess With Zohan, Grown Ups 1 and 2, Just Go With It, and Jack and Jill. He's a Adam Sandler all-star director. Wow. Interesting. So he, he just, Adam Sandler's like, this is the guy. This is the guy. He just, he just gets guy. me. He yeah, lets yeah. me do whatever I want. He gets all my friends together. We go have a nice time. Netflix puts it up, and I get paid $30 million. <laughs> I mean, good on him. That's a gig. I've heard he's a very nice man, too. So I like at least a person who's just enjoying himself is getting it. Yeah. And he's just like, it's not like uh, he clearly doesn't care about the criti- critical acclaim. He's just like working and have a good time. Can I ask for more yeah, than that? Just get yeah. your friends together. Have a nice day. In Hawaii or wherever he's uh, decided the next movie. Exactly, exactly. And of course, as you mentioned there, the final role actor you'll be choosing from is Jane Wyman, who played Ruth Ames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know a little bit about her, but not much. It's like one of those like uh, um, she was 
you know, I think she had her heyday in the 40s and 50s. So it's a little, you know, some of those older movies I haven't really caught up with. All right. Well, hopefully you can track all those actors because uh, here comes the roles they may have done. These are the random roles they may have been in. Okay. One of these actors was in 48 episodes of The Facts of Life from 1986 as a character named Stickle. 48 episodes in The Facts of Life? Yes. Well, I know it's not Shatner. One of them played Dr. Brockton in a movie from 1970 called Trog. <laughs> that movie I like, Trog. One of them played a character named Trimble in a, 1997, a 1979 movie named called Unidentified Flying Oddball. Hmm. One of them played a character called St. James in the 1945 movie The Lost Weekend. Okay. One of them played a character named Cordell in the 1974 film Houston, We've Got a Problem. <laughs> One of them played Mark Twain in 2008 on Canada's Murdoch Mysteries. <laughs> I know who that's got to be. One of them played Gallagher in 1987's Fatal Attraction. Really? Okay. And finally, Jordan. Yeah. One of them played JFK in 1984's JFK, a one-man show. Wow. Those were all really good picks, by the way. Um, uh, let's, let's go. Uh, let me just pick a couple people, and we'll get them out of the way. I think it was Shatner on Murdoch Mysteries. Okay. Um, uh, you'd fatal attraction, right? Yes. I'd say Ann Archer. Okay. Um, uh, what was that 1940 something movie you called it? The Lost Weekend. Let's put Jane Wyman in there. Okay. And what was this? That really silly title you had? Uh, uh, Bon Bon Time. Is that Trog or Unidentified Flying Oddball? <laughs> A Flying Oddball. That's the one. Uh, I'm gonna guess that's uh, it's Dennis Dugan is his name, right? That's correct. Okay, and what do I got left? What you have left is 48 episodes of The Facts of Life. You've got Trog, and you've got two more. Houston, We've Got a Problem, and JFK, a one-man show. I got four more actors? Yes, those actors are Gary Collins, Mike Farrell, Cloris Leachman, and Joan Crawford. Okay, I'm going to think Cloris Leachman did The Facts of Life. Okay. And um, I think uh, Mike Farrell did Trog. Farrell did Trog. All right. And I have two more. Yes, you've got... Sorry, I'm flipping my sheet around to find them all. Houston, we've got a problem, and JFK, a one-man show. Okay. I'm going to think that um, old um, uh, Gary Collins did the one-man show. And uh, and then what do I have left with Joan Collins? Joan Crawford. Your oh, final Crawford. one is Houston, we've got a problem. Yeah, okay, sure. She'll she have done that. I said Joan Collins. Um uh yeah, Joan Crawford there. Sure. I don't know. I feel I feel like I started out strong and got in in, in it just slowly got weaker. Jordan, you did really well. That was 5 out of 8. Oh, hey, that's not so bad. Uh William Shatner was on Murdoch Mysteries as Mark Twain. Yeah. I I mean that was it, it, he's Canadian. Ann Archer was in Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. as Gallagher. Dennis Duggan was an unidentified flying oddball as Trimble. 
<laughs> Cloris Leachman did do 40 episodes of The Facts of Life as Stickle. Oh, man, I was Jane Wyman week. was in The Lost Weekend as St. James. Okay, and so then what were the the ones I missed? Gary Collins was in Houston, You've Got a Problem. <clears throat> Mike Farrell played JFK in JFK, a one-man <clears throat> show. That's so bizarre. Track that down later and watch. I, w- I will. And Joan Crawford was Dr. Brockton in Trog. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure it wasn't one of the ones she was you know, mostly proud of. There's, uh, what's his name? The guy who does all the um, American Horror Stories. Yeah, Ryan uh, Murphy? Ryan Murphy. He did, uh, he did a series called, I think it was Duel, I think, or something like that. Duel Grudge something about Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. Yeah, it was really good. And, uh, they dramatized Trog in that, so I thought if you'd seen it, you might have gone. Oh, you know what's funny? I did see it, and I thought it was it was because uh, he's sort of hit or miss. I'm like either I'm like wow, that's really good, or I was like this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but I thought that was a really good show, but I don't remember Trog. Late in her career, you see uh, the actress who I forget. I'm going to forget everybody's name today. I'm not ready for this. Uh, you see, you see her do a scene from Trog with a man in a caveman suit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should have got that. Anyways, but five out of eight, not bad. No, you did really well. You came in really strong. You were like, bam, bam, bam. I know these ones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, did you did you know the one little bit of trivia? Uh, we'll say for the for episode nine, um, Jane Wyman. Uh, do you know she was married to Ronald Reagan? I did not know she was married to Ronald Reagan. Yeah, his first wife, her a third husband. Yeah. Wait, her third husband. Oh, I see. I got you. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, he was number three. Didn't last, and then uh, he married uh, Nancy after that. So. There you go for, for any historical president buffs. <laughs> so she could have been first lady. Yeah, it could have been, but she didn't. Wow. She instead, she instead went on to uh, a star in what was it? 50 episodes of facts of life. What was she in? No, she was in that forties movie. <laughs> Do you know which, uh, cause she's an Oscar winner. Did you see which Oscar she, uh, she won for? I, I did. It was, um, and I never saw the movie. I saw the synopsis of it. And I was like, Oh, this is dark. It's uh, it's like, uh, she plays, uh, someone who's deaf, I believe, but I don't remember what the title of it was. Now, best actress for the, in the 1949 Oscars for the film, Johnny Belinda, Johnny Belinda. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You ever see that? No, I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how things like that, huh? Things are like a big winner and it's just like just lost to the sands of time. Just like how I don't know anything about Green Book. What's that? Was that a real movie? I don't know. <laughs> I never saw it either. Here is the IMDb summary for Season 2, Episode 2. Dear Joan, we're going to scare you to death. Joan Crawford plays a woman who stumbles upon a group of ESP enthusiasts who decide to use their abilities to scare her to death. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I'll say off the bat, I said, uh, Jason, who's going to be, uh, uh, we're going to find a big spoiler. He's going to kind of be a villain later. Um, I thought he was pretty good, like you said. And I thought Joan Crawford's really good. Like, I think probably these older actors and actresses doing these these TV roles, it's not the highlight of their career, but you can tell that they both are like giving it. And at least it's like a meaty part for them. You know what I mean? Like, it's like they get almost all the screen time and they get to do crying and screaming and uh emoting everything you want to do so i'm like there's at least something for them to do as opposed to i'm sure some of the roles that they were getting at that point in their career no for sure and i mean this is joan crawford's final role i saw somewhere that she got paid thirty five hundred dollars for it which i was like i think that's bad yeah i mean i don't know what that translates to from whatever year this was 1970 whatever but I mean, for you're getting like a star. I think this is this is probably a yeah. I don't know. I I was watching it and she's really like crushing it, and I'm just like, 
how sad for her that this is where her career ends. Yeah, I mean, it's a different time, right? Now, if you have like a movie star and a TV show, it's like, ooh, prestige TV. But I, that's not the feeling you get here. But regardless, that aside. Yeah, yeah. She's killing it, though. That's that's the yeah. key is she's killing it. Yeah, she's great in this. So she starts, she's driving at night. It's uh, She's driving, she can't see something. Uh, and then she sees it's like a dog on the road. So she swerves to not hit the dog. But what ends up happening is she crashes her car. So she's like in the middle of kind of nowhere. It's bad weather. And uh, she she goes to kind of, she hears a voice, right? That's what's sort of like while she's there, she starts hearing like a voice. And she's like, that's weird. So she does what I would not do. And she starts like, having her asthma attack because she's got yes. bad asthma. Yeah, she's having an asthma attack. She so she investigates the noise. Would you, if you're, you're there, you, you're in the middle of nowhere, you crash and you hear like someone being like, whoa, come over here. I'd be like, nope, stay in the car. <laughs> what if they need your help, Jordan? You're that a good sucks. Samaritan. <laughs> I can't see anything. Sorry. <laughs> but yes, the whisper turns into a psychic vision uh, per usual. It's a capsized boat and a drowning woman. And um, we'll soon come to reveal that this is affecting her so badly. Mm. Why her ass was attacking so badly is because her own daughter has recently drowned. Uh, her husband had died sometime earlier. So she's a bit of a widow with a dead, a dead daughter. And uh, the manner of seeing this drowned woman really causes her to just like flip out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of like the thing. And you're right. The asthma is an important thing because it becomes a little bit of a plot point that she has this breathing, breathing prob- problem. So, we that's the cold open. Then we go to we have to mention it, Luke. The new opening credits for the show. Brand new opening credits. A bald mannequin <laughs> being a creep floating in outer space. It's actually really good. I really I, liked. It. I thought it was great too. Ten out of ten for the new opening. Uh, creepy song. I you have no idea what this is supposed to invoke. It's just like this green. You're right. Mannequin head sort of floating in space, and then it's floating in the sky, and it's like a light on its head, and then it's like in water, and you're like, what? And they're like, six, six cents. You're like, okay, great. I guess I'm I'm watching. It might be too much to say they've righted the ship this season, but they've certainly fixed a lot of things. I agree, because the opening credits were like, they were just like, it wasn't even that they were bad. They just like, they weren't evocative of what the show was supposed to be, which is like kind of creepy and, and uh, paranormal. And it's like, well, no, they're not, not doing that at all. Um, but then yeah, we go to... building. It was just a building in a university, and it just said, <laughs> six cents, I guess. <laughs> It's pretty close. So then, then as we go, we see uh, we cut to Gary uh, Collins telling us he won't be in the episode, which just made me laugh and laugh. He's just like, anyways, guys, I know you're waiting to see me. I'm not going to be in this. I'm just going to watch with you because Joan Crawford, ain't she great? And then we go back to the the stuff happening. I did really like, he's like, I'm just going to watch it with you. Uh, have a little sixth sense and chill, you guys. <laughs> yeah. So, but, 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 uh, this is how it gets set up, you know, a classic, she's crashed on the side of the road. It's in the middle of nowhere. Uh, she sees a big old house as she's following this voice and this vision. She sees a big house. And, uh, so she shows up to it to be like, maybe these people can help me. And what's in is I'm going to assume they're a bunch of teenagers, but because it's the 1970s, everyone looks about 40 years old. They explain it. Uh, they're college kids. Um, because what we've come to find out is the woman who owns the house is uh, one of, there's like kind of five of them, four college kids and this older woman. One of the college kids is a, her niece. She, her, she also, like Joan Collins, has recently lost her like kind of husband, so she has no one. The niece has been coming around, started bringing her college friends with her. And so it's kind of like a weird circle of people there where there's kind of like a middle-aged woman and four college kids and one of those college kids is a deaf girl named Lori who like 
is also just kind of wandering around. It's it's a weird setup. It takes a while to figure out who everyone is, but that eventually becomes clear. It's like these are who these people are. Yeah, and and uh, comparing and contrasting the two episodes because we'll obviously talk about the next episode. There are some similarities with how these kind of play out i actually would argue the next episode does it a little bit better because this one we're going to find out very soon why she's seeing visions and how this sort of happening like we talked about in a previous previous podcast where i think i complained that um i didn't like how much they kind of told you up front and they don't quite do it in this episode but they they sort of do let you know what's happening let the viewer know what's going to be happening and and uh you know that she's not sort of crazy which is what what she sort of thinks through this episode whereas i think in the second episode we're going to talk about they sort of leave the mystery till the very end for you to figure out whether it's as satisfying or not i'm I'm not sure but um i do like the latter style of storytelling um better for two very similar stories Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. There's similar stories. Like, there's like literally, it's like one person with five other characters of limited use. Uh, they're just somewhat there to fill out scenes. I would say in this one, I would say at least for this one, they don't try to hide it because very quickly, what we come to find out is this: this group of people has been trying to run experiments on ESP. Essentially, by mm-hmm. the end of the episode, we'll figure they'll, they'll throughout it. And they kind of just tease information out. But what we very early see them doing like an ESP seancey kind of thing. Later, we'll come to learn they'd come there to run it on the deaf girl Lori. They're they're just trying to see if they can use ESP to contact someone. They're like all focusing their minds on one idea. And these experiments. What we'll, what we'll come to learn is that they were doing it on Lori because they know Lori's afraid of water. Her parents also drowned, so she has a fear of it. So they've been just projecting the concept of drowning, hoping that deaf Lori, because she's deaf, would have heightened ESP ability. And they could, I think, they just seem to be trying to prove that ESP exists or that you can do something with it. Wouldn't you argue it's never quite clear exactly what their goal is until they cut the end? Because you're right, they're like, they're talking about like Lori and they're going to test on her and stuff. And I was like, one, the morality of that aside, because it's pretty horrible. But, but you're, I'm like, are you trying to prove that it exists or that you can harness this as a power or that you can do more than you originally thought? I wasn't quite sure what their, their actual uh, definite goal was. Yeah, you kind of have to take their word for as they talk about it my understanding was they were just playing around with it it was kind of fun in games and they had brought Lori because they thought she'd be more receptive and they are very immoral they're an immoral group like their their original concept is to project her greatest fear because they figured that'll be the thing that she's most receptive to and what what has happened in this is I don't think my understanding is they didn't haven't had much luck with it up till now but when Joan Crawford drives by, she's just so like, apparently she's she is a psychic, like I guess Dr. Collins has these psychic te- latent tendencies and she picks up on this. And so when they bring her into the house, um, they're like, well, this lady clearly, we accidentally found someone who was very receptive to what we were trying to do in our little like ESP seance. So let's try to utilize that to really push the envelope, see if we can really affect her with ESP. They like steal a picture of her daughter out of her purse so they can like make it more personalized kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it is this weird thing where it's just like, they're pretty amoral to begin with. Uh, as you said, Paul, I, I believe that's his name. He He's like a, like he's basically a sociopath. Uh, he like, he has no problem. He'll do anything to anyone. And I, as the episode continues, what, what his goal is becomes clear and clear. He's just like, you know what? To really prove we can do this, we should we should scare her to death. Yeah, I'll just pick one. It's Jason who's the bad one. Paul's the guy who's a little bit 
unsure of things who's just like guys is this what we're doing we're, we're trying to kill Thank someone you. but yes but jason is yeah it's to the point where like it escalates where he's like you know what this is working really well what if we get her kill herself you're like oh, what that was a that was a leap anyways as again jason cinema's greatest villain yeah but as you said like why they're doing it it just seems to be they're just like a group of people who are just like they're like closer to the manson family or something they're just like Sure, what if we did kill someone? <laughs> well, the older lady, um, I can't remember what her name is. Uh, uh, whatever, Diana, I think it is. Um, she's just like at one point, like I think she was being somewhat truthful when Joan walks in on them and is like, I saw you guys doing like a type, like a seance type thing is what it looked like. They were like, yeah, we're really into the ESP thing. Like there's not much to do out here in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, yeah, there's probably some truth to what they're saying, right? It's just like they're started being bored and having nothing to do. Yeah, that's what I felt too. I felt like there was a, a group of teens who were, you know, playing with a Ouija board. It was fun. They met this loopy aunt who was lonely at this great house in the middle of nowhere. And this is where they started spending their weekends just like messing around, right? And then the Joan sort of came into it. Uh, mm-hmm. but that, And that's sort of where I think we're beginning is that, you know, they bring Joan in. They treat her really well. She doesn't realize because she's kind of walked into this seance thing. And, and they sort of give her a room in the house because it's late. No taxis will come out. And when she tries to go to bed, she's like suddenly tormented with images of her drowned ghost daughter appearing. You know, it's being like, Mommy, I'm cold. Give me a hug. And, you know, it's it's scary enough. And Joan, Joan we know, has asthma. So every time she sees the ghost, she starts like, you know, hyperventilating and having an yeah. asthma attack. Yeah. it's Again, it's a real chance to act. She could be like, oh, I'm acting. You're like, well done. You're very good. She does a very good job. Like, it's such a yeah. silly premise, and she's, like, giving it so much emotion. Like, everyone in the everyone on the show has to, like, really elevate their game when she's on the screen. Yeah. No, and she's she is good. And it's, and it's, um, it's, it's, it's weird how sort of things work out, because I wasn't sure how much was planned and how much was, um, them sort of just rolling with it, because one of the, one of the next things we get is that, uh, we meet, Lori more because she comes into Joan's room to get her sweater right and this is the image that she realizes she puts at least the first thing together the two and two she's like wait I've seen that sweater in my vision is it Lori that was drowning but then I was like did they they purposely put that sweater there because they wanted her to have that image or was she actually just getting an image of what was going to be happening in the future well, I think that was just a coincidence because the original, when she crashed the car, what she saw, that drowning person, wasn't her daughter. It was just a person drowning in, in a sweater. And that's where he, she's getting this from. But that image was aimed at Lori. So what she's seeing is like she'd seen Lori in that initial premonition drowning. Right, right. Because that's what they were projecting at Lori, trying to like see if they could connect to her brain. It's it's You really have to kind of depack it later. Like it, it does also more or less connect. It's just such an – it's also odd. It takes a while to like figure out how it all connects. Mm. Yeah, I was get you're right. I wasn't sure till you just said that. I thought it was sort of like I was like, "Oh, did they plan this?" But you're right. They were already projecting on Lori. I had forgotten that they uh uh they they were trying this on two different uh two different people. Yeah, and so she sees Deaf Lori and she's like, "Deaf Lori, that's a terrible name for her, but this deaf girl Lori." And <laughs> she's just Lori. like, "I need to like warn her about I I saw her drowning in that flashback before my daughter my ghost daughter started appearing I should probably tell this girl that something's up here and by this point in the episode Joan's like happened to walk by and like catch a glimpse of them doing their weird ESB seance so she's like already kind of like 
pretty freaked out being in this house. She doesn't really trust these people, but she feels a kinship to Lori because it reminds her of her daughter. And she goes to talk to her in Lori's room, and they, they have a chat. Uh, Lori can read lips so that you have normal conversations, essentially, in this episode between um, the deaf character and all the other characters. Um, but they, you know, they discuss her water-based traumas of her parents dying. <laughs> they discuss how, like... She Lori knows everyone from college and they're all friends and everyone's everyone's Lori assures them it's like everyone's kind, they're not really that bad here. And then as as Lori's like talking Joan down, Paul barges into the room, throws Joan out, and just starts slapping Lori around. He's such a bad guy. Jason. I don't I don't want you to say anything bad about Paul. It's Jason. Is it Jason? Why do I have their names switched here? Yeah, it's Jason. And Jason, uh, uh, yeah, Jason starts, uh, uh, yeah, he just starts smacking her. And it's like, well, that seemed to be out of the blue. But it's funny. He, she, he's like reprimanding her. And it's specifically for talking to talking to uh, Joan because he doesn't want these two people talking because he doesn't want them figuring out kind of what they've been doing. And then it's like, uh, what's her face? I guess it's just she keeps having these visions. And she has such a strong vision of her daughter, Joan, that she faints. And what I like is she wakes up and it's just all these teenagers just standing above her, just watching her. I'm like, if you weren't creeped out before, I think you would be creeped out then if you woke up and everyone's just staring at you. Well, that's kind of what's nice about it is very quickly after they don't like hide it for Joan's character. She's creeped out mm-hmm. pretty early on. Like she walks in on an early seance right after she's had a vision. They give those, as you said, they give some lame excuses about it. it's just it's just a fun parlor game they play. But she's she's on to them pretty quickly, but has no way out. Yeah, that's that's a good point to make, though, because they said at the beginning, like, oh, there's no way to take a taxi. And she sort of throughout the the episode is trying to call someone for help, but for various reasons isn't able to do it because she knows something's funny. And like it, you know, like what? No one will come pick them up a taxi. No police will come. It's like they're clearly uh, like low key uh, uh, kidnapping her, you know? hundred percent. And you're right. After this sort of second attack they do on her where she passes out, she wakes up. They're all standing over top of her. And, you know, if, if it wasn't clear before, they're like, we're taking your phone. We see you tried to call a taxi before we like made you pass out. And I believe that, I believe why they're standing over is they're come to check if they've managed to kill her this time. But they haven't. <laughs> She's not dead yet. They take the phone. They lock her in the room and mm-hmm. they're like, all right. This is it, you guys. And, like, there's there's a bit of objection amongst the group. Like, you know, some of them are like, uh, is this okay to do? But as you said, Jason is such a strong, like, Svengali-esque leader. He kind of just, like, bullies them into, like, going along with killing this woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, make, he makes a good point, though. What jury is going to convict them? Yeah, he, he's right. He does make it. He's like, he's like, look, she's going to do this. We're going to scare her to death. What? They're going to they're gonna have to be able to. What are they going to call? Like a, a some sort of di- Dr. Michael Rhodes in to uh, get into the court case and convince them of ESP and that you could kill someone doing that? That would never fly. No, he didn't show up to this one, so they don't have to worry. <laughs> <laughs> but as they go back down and sort of as this conversation is happening about whether or not they should actually go through with this, Laura or Lori comes by. She she read she lip reads the conversation they're having. And she's like, "Oh, I gotta go help that Joan woman who's up in that room." She goes up there, but she can't get in because the door's locked. And she talks through the door. She basically tells Joan through the door, I'm going to go outside. There's a boat out back of the house. There's a little, like, lake out there. I can take the boat. I can go get help. And, you know, Joan is freaked out because she had that vision of her drowning. And she's yelling at the door, like, don't go, Lori, don't go. But, of course, as we know, she's deaf. She can't, she can't hear any of this is happening. And now sort of Joan has this thing where she's like, she needs to find a way out of there 
so she can stop Lori from drowning now. Like she knows Lori's going to get in that boat and mm-hmm. drown, and that's sort of where the the stakes sort of ratchet up. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was it was funny, and it's it's I mean, what are you going to do? Is that the Lori who we've mentioned is deaf? She goes up to the door and she like knocks on the door. She's like, "Hey, Joan, can you hear me?" And then she's waiting, and I was like, "Well, there's a problem in your problem in your plan right here because." You can't hear about her response, but it does. It, it actually works in terms of the tension because Joan is responding. She's like, yes, I can hear you. And then she's like, anyways, I'm going to go take the boat. And she's like, don't take the boat, don't take the boat. And she's like, can't hear anything. Anyways, off to the boat. Hope you're there. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of the group hears Joan shouting upstairs, like screaming at the door. And uh, Jason goes up to check on her and finds that Joan has slipped a note under the door, attempting to stop Lori from taking the boat. Like she's written, don't take the boat, Lori, and mm. slipped it under the door, hoping that Lori might see it before she walked away. Um, so he gets it. He now knows Lori's about to take the boat. So he goes out back and catches Lori as she's like climbing into this like old like kind of robot with an outboard motor. And, you know, he's just such a villain. He like pulls the outboard motor <laughs> off, grabs the paddles pushes Lori into the boat and then just sets it adrift in the lake and it's like it's leaking so like she's in there it's like it's just a slow it's, leak it's more than that he took he took part of um uh like a um the pole that you use to pull like the line in and it's sharp at the end he punctured punctured the boat with oh it. that's what he that's before he did it when he was pulling it in he punctured it with the thing so it's like oh not only am i going to push you out to sea but like you're going to drown well this is a murder he can be caught for <laughs> That's true, but I mean, who's she gonna tell? I guess so. I guess that's true, but it, it's kind of nice. It's, it, you know, the stakes keep rising. She and you know, Lori's out there. She's having a panic attack because you know, this is her worst fear is drowning. So it's kind of where we leave things, and and Joan can kind of see all of this from her bedroom window. So like, mm-hmm. all the stakes are set and, and raised. And now that it's sort of set up, the group comes back in and they're preparing their final like their final psychic attack. And it is the best one of the episode. Is like they have. The ghost daughter materialize. It's it's pretty creepy. I I've never seen this before, but like the ghost is like that. You know that classic transparent like cheap ghost you can do where you shoot mm-hmm. it once and then shoot it twice. But the daughter comes in and tries to give Joan a hug. I've never seen one of those transparent ghosts try to give someone a hug before. I really like that. <laughs> I you know what? I actually forgive all the special effects. I thought it looked fine for what it was. I was like, great ghost, got it. No, I think they did a nice job with the limited effects. I thought they looked good. Joan, of course, starts having another um, uh, asthma attack. But this time she has a plan. She goes into the bathroom, the, the ensuite bathroom to her room and turns on the shower and sort of steams up the shower so she can like breathe a bit better mm-hmm. to help her from passing out this time. And they still get one last pretty fun, I mean, you know, campy but fun scare gag. Whereas she's doing it, uh, her ghost daughter appears and then her skeleton hand reaches out and grabs her, and then like it, it pans up, and there's like a there's a skeleton wearing a really wet wig, and it's I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> well, um, it was good. I actually thought that was um, it was a pretty clever scene of her to be like utilize what's available, and it was like it's the shower, so she could do that. It also um, it creates a nice foggy effect, so it's hard to see her when she wants to escape. And the group they finish the seance, and they as they've done the last time, they've come up to see if they finally killed Joan. And they come into the room, they hear the shower running, so they walk into the shower to see if she's in there. And Joan has been hiding behind the door to the room. It's actually quite clever. Mm-hmm. And she just, like, slips out, locks the door, and locks them inside. Yeah, it's great. And, of course, you know, that's not going to hold them long. They're, they're, they're quite burly college kids or teenagers, depending on what you want to guess their ages as. And they bust out and start searching the house for her. Um, you know, 
she's she's kind of running from room to room, hiding behind curtains, and you know they're freaking out. They got they got to find her and stop her before she gets out of here. And this is the moment when one of the t- one of the college kids he catches Joan. She's like hiding behind a curtain, and he has a change of heart. I guess this is Paul. This is the yeah. Paul character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he kind of lets her go. She grabs a phone. She's able to call the police. And there's a big... Joan doesn't have the final confrontation. This Paul character confronts Jason about, like, what he's been doing. And they have a, you know, a classic. They they fight. They fist fight their way up a set of stairs to the second floor. <laughs> and then, like, Paul gets the upper hand and throws Jason off the balcony. And I did like this, though. Jason falls one floor. And usually someone just gets up from that in TV. But he, like, breaks his leg and can't stand <laughs> up. I'm like, that's pretty good. I know. It, it's not quite sure what his injury is. I thought it was, like, he broke his ribs or whatever. But he just sort of, like, lays there in pain. I was like... Yeah, well, that that does look like it hurts. Yeah, I was like, if I fell off the second floor of a house, I would definitely just break a hip, and that would be the end of it. <laughs> yeah, and also I did like though that like you have this guest star. It's it's Joan Crawford. You need to have a big action scene. She's not going to be in the, in the fight clearly, so it's like let the two dudes fight it out. And I was like, yeah, I'll allow it. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, well, this is happening. Joan has gone back up to her room where she can see out into the lake. She's called the police, but she there's no way for her to get to Lori now. She's in the middle of the lake. It's sinking. And Joan finally uses her psychic, her latent psychic abilities to for herself. Like, it's been used against her up till now. And now she starts, like, she's rubbing her temple. And it's my favorite part. Is she's just, like, talking to Lori in the boat. And she keeps saying, turn around, Lori. There's just a life vest right behind you, Lori. Just turn around. Just turn around. And uh, <laughs> Lori eventually just, like, turns around. She's like, oh, there was a life vest here the whole time. Yeah, I was like, Lori, you got to at least check your surroundings. I mean, I, I thought it was shot pretty well. Like, we've established she's so freaked out by water. So I forgave her that this woman's having, like, a massive panic attack. She can't think straight. But it was very funny to just be like, just turn around. Just turn around. There's a life vest right there. And that's pretty much it before, like, the quick little, like, they're like, oh, good. She's she's saved. The, the Everything's been resolved. And before we have, like, the little final, like, recap of, like, what happened. And I like it because it's like... Uh, uh, it's like Lori and uh, uh, Joan talking, and she and Lori's just like, anyways, they used me because of my deafness. Like, well, that tracks. What I liked is we cut to it. The police are arresting everyone, which I guess I guess there's evidence of like an attempted murder, I guess, with uh, Lori, but they're not arresting Paul. They've like let Paul gets to stay, and I'm just like, well, up till now he's been uh, he's been party to all of this crime, uh, but well, I guess like, because he changed sides. Well, no, because the police were gonna put the handcuffs on him. He was like, whoa, 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 whoa! I was ambivalent the whole time. They're like, all right, we'll let you go. Yeah, I just thought that was very funny because I'm like, I think two, one or two of the other people in this group could probably make the same claim. Yeah, you think the police would just arrest them all and let them uh, let the courts handle it, you know? But not in these small towns. Let the courts handle this psychic attack. <laughs> and then and then we say, so that's like the episode done. And then we uh, sort of, as you said, so bookended um, from the beginning. We have uh, Gary uh, Collins talking to Joan Crawford and talking about the ESP dream she had about her dog dying. <laughs> I really like this. It's so good. It comes back. Gary Collins is at his, like, the desk he has is the standing set. He's just like, wasn't that a great episode? Let's go to hang out with Joan Collins now. And he gets up and he walks over and Joan Collins is just sitting on the couch in this office. And yeah, they're just like, let's have a chat. And Joan's just like, Gary, I'm a big fan of The Sixth Sense. And I'm just like, there's the most acting you've done all episode. 
yeah i know and and she's just like he's like wasn't that great she's like i did love doing this episode of the television show we're like all right joan you're laying on, laying on a little thick but then she's like he's like what do you think about esp she's like i don't know if i th- know anything about esp but let me tell you one time i had a dream my dog was gonna die by uh didn't she say it was like falling off the balcony or something like that yeah she had a dream her dog was falling and she was trying to catch it right and then the next day her dog fell off the balcony and died and she's like so i don't know esp <laughs> It didn't die. It didn't die. <laughs> I thought it did die. No, she said the next day her dog fell 30 feet between the wall and the free-flying staircase in her apartment. <laughs> and, was, and she's like, it was fine. I thought it died. I thought she was telling a humorous story at the time her dog died. No, no. She assured everyone it was fine. And like, they're like, interesting. And they both, like, it concludes by like, them agreeing that, like, you know what? ESP is probably a thing, right? <laughs> Probably. I love it. Two actors being like, probably a thing, right? They're like, anyways, we have no authority, but there you are. Commercials. I did like the capper, though, is that uh, I think she asked uh, Gary, like, what about you? Do you have an ESP? And, like, he turns to Cameron and says, well, if I do, I'll use it to get you back on the show soon. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, right, Gary. It was good. I really enjoyed it. It happens in both these episodes. I really enjoyed the weird pre-cap where he's just like, I'm not in this one, but let's all sit back and enjoy it. And then coming back and just having a weird little interview about ESP with the lead actress. That I, great. What a great idea. I love it. I love it too. Can you imagine we were watching like a show? We were watching like <laughs> Tech War and then just like like William Shatner comes in. He's like, hey, I'm not in this episode. But uh, anyways, you wouldn't believe what uh, 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 Tom Selleck is doing in this episode. <laughs> well, that's weird. And they come back and they're like, Tom... I think VR is going to be a big thing in the future. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know. All I know is I like guns. <laughs> All right, Jordan, let's move on. Here's the IMDb summary for season two, episode nine. If I should die before I wake. But what if the storm didn't happen today? What if it happened a month ago or even a year ago? Well, then I'd say you were having uh... hallucinations. No. I was meant to see what is happening in this house. Mother, there couldn't have been a murder in this house. If there had been, we would have heard about it, a legend or something. When she returns to her old home, Ruth Ames begins to see visions, including that of her long-dead daughter, Mindy. Yeah, so so even you could just hear from the, the synopsis that you just read that these have some real similarities. I know it's like we're watching episode two and nine, so it's not like they were like week after week, but it is funny to like bring back an older uh, movie star, uh, lead female actor, um, and have a, a very, very similar plot of having them both be um, uh, sort of uh, traumatized by the death of their daughter. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There's the trauma of the death of the daughter. There's. It's kind of odd because all of these Sixth Sense episodes kind of, I was thinking about it, I think all of them have, a, even when Gary, even when uh, Dr. Michael Rhodes there, they all have a lead character who's a woman who's being troubled by psychic visions. So it's also like the trouble, like you keep, like, I don't think there's been an episode where it wasn't a woman troubled by psychic visions. I think you're right. I didn't, didn't really think of that. I think you're, yeah, I think you are right. So while you're right, like, it's like they're very similar plot points. Like how this one plays out is a quite a bit different. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the whole trope of this is always the same. It's always like, I guess I guess they're just like women are more sensitive to ESP, so we couldn't have a man have ESP. I think I think probably also part of it now that you say it is maybe also that uh, 
the other characters just through societal implications are less likely to believe a woman when she was telling people something like I'm seeing this thing, this thing's happening. They're like, uh, all right, sweetheart, be quiet. sort of thing. Maybe it wouldn't have had the same effect if it was a man. That's true. That's true. Cause that is often what the plot of these episodes are. And I mean, I guess in the ones where Gary Collins is in it, where Dr. Michael Rhodes appears, you already have a male lead. So you, you, you know, in all circumstances of this era, you've got to pair him with a lady or what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Well, this one starts a little different. We have um, uh, uh, Ruth Ames, who's going to be our, our lead in this, played by Jane Wyman. Uh, she's in like a, it, it's a cemetery, but it looks like it's a rural cemetery. But as they pull out, you see it's, she's looking at a grave. You assume it's a grave of her daughter. Um, but you see it's not actually a cemetery. It's like a, I think it's like a family uh, family plot that's right off of their house uh, in this country house, sort of like a very old-fashioned way to do, you know, people burying on the property. So, so she's there. Yeah, yeah very she's little in, house on the prairies. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and uh, she she's looking at this grave, and then uh, she's it's pretty sad comes, that grave though, eh? It's because uh, they show it. It's Mindy, and uh, she she passed away. Like she lived from fifty two to eighty, like or sixty. I mean, so it's like they're showing the grave of an eight year old. I'm like, whoa, this is a really sad start to this episode. Yeah, and and again, uh, uh, to say something for the the actress Jane Wyman, doing a great job of you know right away, she's still distraught at what has happened. Um, clearly, you can tell from the first scene that she hasn't let it go. Um, and what you're gonna find is this is the house where the daughter had died. Um, uh, and she had a second daughter years later. Um, I can assume, or she at least had another daughter, and obviously the older, younger daughter. But they had moved away because of this tragedy. Um, something at one point happened. So recently, either the uh, her husband died or she divorced him. I don't think they say explicitly. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. They they but... do they do. Um, what it was is they yeah they moved away ten years ago and haven't returned. They went to New York City. And now her husband just passed away. So she's given up their, they've sold their New York home. She's moving back here to be closer to, uh, to their original family. And, yeah. and as becomes clear, to be closer to her dead daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So she sort of says, like, she talks around, like, this was the house I always loved and I wanted to come back here. But it becomes very clear that, like, she hasn't ever gotten over this death and she wants to be closer to the daughter. So that's sort of what you kind of the what underscores everything but this starts with her sort of coming in this guy named billy shows up bill who like i don't know i didn't exactly know how that worked he was from the bank or the real estate company or something but he's basically there to like give her the keys to let her back into her home that has been um no one's lived in it it's just been like shuttered and i like that they've been gone for 10 years they just like put like like you only see in movies people they put like blankets over all the furniture just be like all right at least it's not gonna get dusty <laughs> that's true it's true yeah bill's kind of like bring her back he's apologizing the electricity has been turned back on she's kind of come back suddenly no one was expecting her to return and you're right i think his family has been taking care of the property or like just like looking mm-hmm. after because that's the idea behind it um and like before the cold open ends uh um, she'll be she'll be she'll be going into the house with the key and being like, well, Bill, I, I'd like to be alone for a bit. And he's like, no problem. And as she's grabbing the key, the poorly secured like giant diamond studded golden heart brooch she's wearing falls off, and Bill looks down. And he's like, well, that's quite the expensive piece of show jewelry you've worn to the country. And she's like, oh yes, I wear my best jewelry when I come back to visit my dead daughter. <laughs> You're like, oh, I wonder if that would be important later. It was such a weird cutaway that you're like, well, I guess I better track that information. <laughs> um, that's sort of the that's the cold opening. 
I did want to ask Jordan though. Mm. You've got a nice country house, not quite the prairies, but pretty close. What do you yeah. think? Family plot? You're gonna start one? <laughs> I'll t- I'll tell you uh, a little secret. I'll tell you what is buried on uh, on my property are two ducks. Two ducks. It's already started. The family plot. Yeah, begun. that's the family plot. Uh, they're they're only marked with a rock, but uh, if you come over, I'll show you where they are. <laughs> you know what it means. It's part of the tour. <laughs> It's it's not the first thing on the tour, but it's it's along the tour. Yeah, I'm like, anyways, uh, it's one of the here. highlights. <laughs> That's right. Well, she goes inside the house, and very quickly, you know, we we go into the haunted house kind of trope. She hears she hears a girl crying, mama from a room. Uh, a rubber ball bounces down a set of stairs, all creepily, and then like out of nowhere, a storm sets in. It's just like the electricity pops back on. Something, Something's off. She's, she's like having an ESP. Because we know the show, she's having some sort of ESP vision. And then she hears screams upstairs and sees a shadowy man beating someone with a shovel. And then it all vanishes. It all goes away. Yeah. It goes back to the way the house was before. And we're like, ooh, this is going to be our ESP mystery this week. Yeah. And, uh, and this is sort of the thing that you'll see this same sort of thing recurring. Like you'll see the ball several times. You'll see... Uh, these plants that have been knocked over and a few images of this shadow figure sort of attacking. Um, it's You'll see them over and over and over. But um, I thought it was a pretty good setup because at first year I was like, oh, is this going to be the like mystery of her daughter? It's like, no, no, no. That's just like, that's just a reason that she's there. It's It's going to be something else entirely. Yeah, yeah. It's, just a, it's a nice little setup. And, you know, obviously we, we have a little cutaway. Uh, Gary Collins introduces the episode says, hey, I'm, I'm sitting out. We got an Oscar winner to come in and do the show this week. So I guess, I, I guess I'm not allowed on set. Do you think they just didn't want to act with him? They're just like, I'll do it. No Gary Collins. <laughs> I think it was just a money thing. They're like, like, Gary, we can't pay you an episode this week. So you're just going to record a bunch of these uh, that you were so excited to not be working. And then we're just going to air them, you know, as, as needed. We're giving them each thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, two two of the best actresses in our in our nation. We're giving them we're giving them enough to pay a, well, probably a month's rent on whatever their mansion is. Uh, Gary, you get fifty bucks for coming <laughs> in to do the intro. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Do your own makeup. <laughs> anyway, they go back to the story. Uh, Ruth's other daughter arrives, Jean, and she's there with her boyfriend. I didn't catch his name, but someone just refers to him as a ball player. So I think he's a major league baseball player. I, I loved him. He couldn't look more 70s. I didn't write down his name either. I just wrote husband. But he's just like, he's a dude with like long hair and a big long mustache. And he's like, I don't know, he's wearing like a, I, I, in my memory, it was like a leather jacket with tassels. He's just, he's he looks like a prototype man from the 1970s. He's great. I just love that he was like referred to as ball player. And there's time I'm just like, oh, I'd love to see what team he plays for. I want to hear more about his stats. What's going on with his baseball player? <laughs> um, but yes, they're there to help Ruth move back in. You know, they're a little worried. They're her, you know, Jean's mother just died. Ruth's husband. She's very suddenly decided to move back here. And Jean knows the real reason. Like Jean's known her mother for a long time. She knows she's always been pining over this dead daughter. So she knows like that's kind of an unhealthy reason she's moved back here. But they're, it's very funny. Jean and her mom clearly have a strained relationship right away because they arrive. They're like, we're going to help mom move in. But we're also leaving this afternoon. We're not sticking around. We're going to leave this afternoon. Uh, baseball player needs to get back for a photo shoot he needs to do. They're, it, it, they set a timeline very quickly. It's just like, yeah. we're only here for a few hours. We'll get her some groceries. I love my mom, but like, she's too obsessed with this. And like, there's this kind of like tension of just like, family strain but also worried about the mother's mental health kind of thing i i I thought it was pretty well done like if it was like a more of a modern tv they would have had probably 
a scene where you would have had them have an argument or something to show to really uh, show the tension between the two. But they sort of just leave it subtly, like you said. Like there's just like, yeah, I'm here to help you. Anyways, we're not staying long. You know, implying that like I'm not even gonna get into it with you. I'm just gonna be here really quick because the mom is like, she's like, oh, you're not gonna stay for dinner? Like I just arrived. They're like, nope, nope, we're on our way. No, thank you. <laughs> but. As they're kind of helping her set up, Ruth is kind of exploring the house and having more and more supernatural encounters. The the old rusted carousel in the back, which hasn't moved in years, starts spinning around. Uh, she finds she finds a room with a someone crying mama inside. When she goes inside, there's a gigantic Raggedy Ann doll under the covers. I love that. It was just like, because you get that image of her walking in a room and there's like clearly someone under the cover. She's like, oh no, what is it? But when she pulls it, it's a doll. I'm like, I don't think the doll would have made that exact human body figure under the sheets but sure i'll allow it yeah i mean very quickly too like she turns around and like standing in a doorway in the shadows is her dead like eight-year-old daughter it's like they're, they're not really like they're like these creepy things are happening like she'll go down to the basement at some point and there'll be an open grave she sees and then when she looks away it's gone kind of thing so they, they spend a lot of time sort of building these like supernatural things that only ruth is seeing mm-hmm. so that sort of sets ruth up and then they just start introducing which you know I, we've talked about this a little bit of a flaw of the show but they just start introducing more and more characters yeah yeah and and it's like uh it, it, i think the next character is it the um uh what's his name the groundskeeper right his name is uh yeah, well, uh, kind of who comes in first is there's the family friend and lawyer, Aaron, an older guy right. who I guess lives in town and kind of knows the family. And he's there to introduce the other characters. So he's just like, you remember Bill, the man from the opening? And she's just like, Bill, how are your parents? And uh, Aaron's like, oh, that's really uncomfortable. They were burnt so badly in a fire last year. They're in a nursing home. You really put your foot in your mouth. <laughs> no, I love it. But, but what, what the scene is, is she says hey hope your parents are well and he just gives a dirty look and walks off and it's it's not <laughs> until Aaron is like oh you shouldn't have said that uh, because yes his parents had were a horribly horrible burned and he's like he's like and really they should be dead with the pain they're in anyways um, the power should be on uh, about six o'clock <laughs> but what I like is like that's not the like let's say you've had this horrible tragedy your parents have had this thing I wouldn't go off in a huff if someone asked how they're doing you either say not well and you explain it or you say they're fine because you don't want to have the conversation you don't go in a huff and then like kick some dirt and walk off i'm like bill come on now yeah yeah i mean that is what you do currently when people ask how your parents are but they're alive and well <laughs> i do not no i i say they're busy <laughs> on the tour right now looking at the dead ducks <laughs> <laughs> and then they introduce the and then he sort of introduced the other character sam the the old groundskeeper which is also very funny they're like they're like the old groundskeeper Sam, and she's like, "Who are you?" And it's like you don't remember the old groundskeeper Sam, you. And she's just like, "Oh, I do vaguely remember you." It's just so weird. Like she's met these people and like knows nothing about them. Yeah, and Sam is. I think we're supposed to, um, as an audience, believe he's either a little bit slow or he's a little bit peculiar or awkward. There's something that's a little bit. I, I don't mean this to be insensitive, but there's something a little bit off with him, or at least there is in the actor's choice that he's done. Am, would you would you agree with me? This is really weird. I also agree. When you meet him, I was like, oh, they're definitely presenting him as developmentally disabled. He's just like kind of got that, you know, for lack of a better term, he's just doing Tom Hanks's Forrest Gump, essentially. <laughs> or at least that's what it seems like initially. Yeah. Because he's just talking slow and that stuff. And then they ask him another question, and he just responds normally as if he, there's nothing wrong. 
And I'm just like, wait, I can't. So like sometimes the actor is playing it one way and then sometimes he's just playing it normal. And I just could, I could not get the sense of what that. So I, th- I think you're right. They're, they're aiming for him to being like slightly peculiar, but they never really settle on how or why. He's just kind of like a tall guy who's a little quiet. Yeah, I think they want sort of like a Boo Radley type thing. Like he's this kind of quiet, you're unsure about him sort of person. Um, but yeah, it's 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 to an effect because I think you as a viewer are supposed to be like, oh, maybe because he's weird, he's guilty of something or he or he's done something, right? That's that's what they're kind of playing with a little bit. Yeah, they want they want a good red herring. I think Boo Radley's a good a, a good example. Like he, he's definitely going to fill that role of just like is he slow? Is he not? But we're definitely going to pin a crime on him kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, we sort of get all these characters in play. And very quickly, Ruth just tells everyone about the visions she's having. So, like, we have a big parlor scene where everyone's gathered to hear about, like, what she's been seeing. And, uh, you know, they go look around the house. We find out, like, there's no grave in the basement. That carousel's never run. Like, all those things to set up the idea that, like, what she's seeing isn't isn't real. Just, like, the... There was a pipe we replaced in the basement, so it's not a grave at all. Like the the square you the square of cement you see is just normal down there, and mm-hmm. it's all this stuff sort of is laid out to be like, don't worry, nothing's wrong. But now that you mention it, maybe something is wrong. It's like remember since Sam's been taking care of this place, remember when he was running around with that girl in town who, uh, what, what do they say? They're like she skipped town without picking up her last paycheck at the mill. That was strange. <laughs> Yeah, I do like that. Like, yeah, they're like, like, yeah, he was seen with that girl, and he's a little bit weird, right? And then, like, she just disappeared, and he's never talked about it. Anyway, that might be odd. Um, but let me ask you something. So we, as a viewer watching this, we know that she's not crazy, despite what all the other characters think, because she seems overly distraught, and she's saying she's seeing all these things. But we, as a viewer, know uh, she's not, because we're seeing it with her. We're seeing these visions. And we're seeing yeah, yeah, we know the it. mystery she's trying to solve, yeah. 100%. Do you think it would be more effective if we didn't know, if there was, if we weren't sure if she was um, kind of uh, just, uh, she'd been in a state of mind where she is seeing things? Do, do you think that would have hindered it, or do you think it would have added to tension? I don't think you can do that. I just don't think, like, on a show like Six, because the Sixth Sense has that this is this is the formula for this show mm. it's not like every week you turn in and it's a new crazy person who's going to be proven to be crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true but i, I mean maybe, maybe it's more of like um uh maybe it's a bit of a uh a challenge for an older show do you think let's say it's a, a more modern television show do you think that you, they could su- sustain that uh disbelief longer I mean, I think you could do it if this were had been a standalone TV movie where you didn't know the formula, I think. Uh, yeah. I think that's what you normally do would be like, is she having an episode? But even still, like, you know, when you go see a horror movie or something like that, usually in the first act, if you're being set up as like, maybe she's not right. Like, usually by the end, the the character's proven to be having a super doubt. Like, it's, it's very rare that you see the movie where the twist at the end was like, it they was all in her mind the yeah, entire that's time. That's true. That's true. I see what you're saying, but I, I I don't think it's impossible. But I I just yeah I didn't I think you're right. We as an audience are like we've been conditioned all the time. Now it's like they're gonna learn she's right eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and again I don't know if it takes away because I like this episode. It just I while I was watching, I was like I wonder if like there was a way around it if that would make it better or worse if like they suspended that the the viewers disbelief a little bit longer of like maybe something isn't right with her you know um but but regardless i will say to the episode's credit as as we go forward they do kind of do something 
it's not quite a twist, but it's a little bit of a twist on the on the on the like formula of the show. Is you know Ruth keeps having these visions, as you said, the same like intro, the storm, all the same things, the flowers, mm-hmm. the ball, all that stuff from the beginning keeps happening, keeps going down to that open grave, and she finally brings the police over. And she's like, this is what I've been seeing. Like, I, you know, and the police are like, well, you can't really just make accusations based on like a dream you had. But they do still bring Sam in to question him about the missing girl. And Sam's just like, I, I swear, like that that patch of cement in the basement that looks like a grave that's been covered up. That's just a pipe I put in. I really didn't do anything. And, you know, which is actually fairly probably accurate to how small town police would behave. They keep... They don't have any reason to question him, but they keep pushing him until he does break. And he admits there was a girl he was seeing, he was running around with, and he did hit her at some point. He hit her, but he swears when he hit her, she ran away. Like that, like he didn't he didn't hurt her. And they're like, Well, you know what? Let's go dig up that grave in the basement and find out if you really did bury someone down there. And this is where the twist was kind of sort of happened, is they go down there and they finally like baseball player gets to like do something. He hacks open that grave. And there's nothing. There's nothing there. Like, all these visions seem to be leading to the fact that mm-hmm. Sam killed or someone's been buried in the basement. And it really just is a water pipe he's buried down there. Yeah. Yeah. So he's guilty of a, an abusive relationship, but not a, a murderous one. <laughs> I did. The scene was kind of, you know, it's it's one of those ones that's played weird because this is where they're like really playing. It's like, is he like, is something wrong with him? And they're like, he's just like, I swear she ran off. And they're like, did you ever spend the night here, Sam? He's just like. I did, but I never slept in any of the bedrooms. I always slept in the hallway. I'm like, not better, Sam. Not better. <laughs> I think there's lots of bedrooms you can sleep in. But at any rate, with the with the day with the grave dug up to be revealed not to be a grave at all, and the fact that like Sam maybe did have a relationship with this person and and probably did hit her, but she did seems to she seems to have just left town. Like it seems like for everyone else involved in the story. It seems like they're, they're like, this is an acceptable explanation. So Jean, uh, the daughter of Ruth, she's like, I, you know what? I can't, mom, I can't do this anymore. And she finally has a confrontation over her mother when she finds her mother standing over Mindy's grave again. And I like it. It's a nice confrontation where she's just like, mom, you're, my entire life, you've been obsessed with this perfect dead daughter you had, this like angel who never did any wrong. Well, guess what? She was a human just like me. She wasn't perfect. And you ignored your living daughter for your dead daughter. And she's like, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. Like, I, I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was actually a surprisingly, like, effective scene of, like, having this confrontation of uh, that they've had their entire life going. I was, I was surprised this episode, like, was able to, like, dredge up this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she goes. They get in the car. They take off. The mother's left alone. And I think it gets, like, it's a little bit of time passes. Night comes in. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, uh, um, but suddenly, like, Sam shows up, like, unexpectedly. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving flowers. Yeah, he, he's walking around the basement of the house. He's just like, sorry, I came back to drop off the cement to fix the hole. My favorite part of Sam the entire time is just like, I did such a good job with that hole. Now I got to do that work again. <laughs> he's like, I dropped by. I dropped some cement bags off to fix in the morning. And I also bought you flowers as an apology. He's like, he's like I'm still not sure quite what I did wrong, but I bought the flowers. And so suddenly we see the flowers from her vision are now on the vase. And then the lights suddenly come back on because the electricity has been turned back on. And then, and, and then you hear the clap of thunder and you realize just like the vision she had wasn't from the past. She was mm. having a vision of the future. And th- this is where I think the twist is kind of interesting. It's just like they've really been teasing you with the idea that she's there to solve a crime from the past. And at this moment, you realize it's like the crime is yet to come. Yeah. Exactly, and because we and we did see at one point, um, 
she has the image of herself in the in the coffin and that and that uh leads or not in the coffin in the in the dug grave which is read to like what she is seeing is the, the possibility of her own death is what she's been seeing the whole yes, time. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, yeah, we forgot that. She does have another vision where it's her in the... After kind of all the confrontations, she sees herself in that grave, and it just leads more mystery. But this is where it sort of, like, gets caught up. We start reeling what's happening. And, and we cut away to Jean and her baseball boyfriend, and they're, they're, driving, they're driving away from the house. They're, you know, probably, like, a half hour away. And the storm's rolling in over them, finally. And it's kind of... A, it, it kind of... I liked it a little bit. It's like, Jean's in the passenger seat. She sees the storm coming in, and she's just like... Wait, as we were leaving, I saw Sam bringing in flowers and mom was constantly going on and on about that grave that we dug up and no one was in it. But we dug a grave like we dug, like this is where Jean sort of puts mm-hmm. it all together, too. She's just like, oh, no, mom did have a did see something. But what she saw was yet to come. And she starts like yeah. begging her boyfriend to turn around and go back. And she's just like, mom, mom's mom's vision was real, but it wasn't about the past or the future. She's begging her boyfriend to turn around and he's finally just like, okay, okay, we'll go back. We'll go back. I just have Jordan. Uh, we're, you're driving a car with your significant other and she's just like, my mom had a vision and you're, you're halfway home. You're halfway back to your country house. You're, are you turning around? <laughs> I don't know. It's, I guess it depends on how distraught they are. I mean, it's how far are we on the drive? You know, <laughs> I'm saying you're like halfway back. It's 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 an hour it's an hour and a half drive you're 45 minutes into. It. Uh 45 if they're really upset I'd go back. We we're an hour and a half I'd be like let's see if we can hold it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more about the it's a time thing. It's a time. Yeah, it's thing. a time thing. <laughs> exactly. Are you over the halfway mark? Yeah, I'm like look, we've already passed. We've already passed the halfway. Let, let's just keep going. We'll call her when we get home. <laughs> If she doesn't answer, you're right. I owe you a Coke. <laughs> exactly. But um, so she uh, she's all worried now. Um, jo- uh, Joan, what the character's name? The character's name is Ruth. Ruth is all worried that uh, Sam is there to uh, attack her. That's that's what she's been seeing. But it's not. It's Bill the whole time. Yes, yes. In the house, she like runs into her room to hide from Sam, and Bill lurches out of a corner. He's carrying all of her jewelry in his hands. He's brought no bag for it. Yeah. And he's got a gun, <laughs> so he's just like, well, I guess I'm going to shoot you now to cover up me stealing your jewelry to help pay for my parents in that nursing home. And as he's about to shoot Ruth, Sam leaps out of the darkness with a shovel, and I beats him savagely with that shovel. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I mean, it's good. Good he was there with his, like, I don't know, stupid person's strength. And he saves Ruth, and we cut to the next morning, and, and it's Ruth and her daughter just talking about, well, it's a good thing that all worked out in the end, huh? And they kind of, you know, they reconcile. And I sit there watching, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, wait, so in everything played out. Like, there was no, like, the visions didn't change the future. Everything just played out exactly as it w- would have in the visions. So her visions were always just of... Sam, because it was always a man in shadows hitting someone with a shovel. So her visions were always just of Sam saving her from Bill? Yeah, see, what I thought was what she was seeing was she got beaten to death with the shovel by Bill. Well, that was the implication. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I don't know. Oh, so you think, yeah, I I don't know. This is the part that was confusing because, like, usually what happens is someone has to believe the vision to change the future. And they do the thing where her daughter realizes, oh, it's real. We got to go back and help her. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't get back till after it's all concluded. So really what happens is that the vision comes true, 
but always in the vision Sam was saving her by beating Bill with a shovel, she never was going to end up in that grave. No, maybe the difference would have been that she would have been dead, but Sam would have got there too late to beat him with a shovel. I guess so, but nothing changed. Like, the daughter didn't change. Nothing changed. No. You're right. Nothing changed. Like, there was no, there was no, th- Anyways, there's no an- moment an- another job where well you done. change the future. <laughs> there's no moment where you change the future. Like, they imply it when the daughter turns around, she's going to come back and alter what's going to happen, but she doesn't get there in time. So everything just plays well, out like it should have. I don't, but I don't think the daughter was ever going to be the one that was going to change it. It was going to be Ruth who was, Ruth, I keep forgetting her name. Yeah, Ruth, who was yeah, going to change it herself. And I think, yeah, you're right. She doesn't change anything. It's just like watching it happen. It's just like, what is the mystery? But I don't think it was supposed to be that the daughter comes and saves the day. I think the point bond was the daughter, daughter comes back and believes a mom and they can reconcile over it. But that's what I mean is like in in this kind of show, you like when you realize it's a premonition and you're going to die in that premonition, you need to do something to change the future. But what we come to reveal is she does not, nothing happens to change the future. We just reveal that the premonition is she saw Sam beating Bill to death with a shovel. That's right. That's exactly right. It's crazy. It's it's such a crazy thing. And then in addition to that, you know, we have a conclusion where she's just like, you know, the daughter and mother are reconciled. She's going to pay more attention to her living daughter. But I'm just like, your literal dead daughter is a ghost in this house. You've seen her repeatedly. She was uninvolved in the premonition, apparently. Like, like they have like they have established now is like, oh, that dead daughter is 100% haunting that house. Nothing to do with what's happening this episode. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually kind of forgot about it by the end. I guess I got so invested in um, uh, them not changing the the premonition um, that I forgot that the daughter shows up. Because I guess the, the, the ghost daughter is sort of just a red herring. But it's like, okay. So, like, the implication now is you're right. She's just going to haunt the house. But I'm like, oh, well, I guess that's what she wanted. So it all works out in the end. She gets both of what she wants. She gets her dead daughter back <laughs> and her living daughter. <laughs> And Sam gets to fix that basement. Yeah, there you go. But at any rate, that's the conclusion of it. They go back to the uh, to the set where Gary Collins can interview Jane Wyman, and uh, it's it's a great interview. Jane Wyman's like, "This is the first thing I've ever done with ESP," and he's like, "Really?" He's like, "Have you ever? You've never experienced it before?" And she's like, "Nope, never, never heard of it before. Just showed up to set today. They told me it was about ESP, but she's like, "You know what? I I read a script that said I hear animals have it. Is that true, Gary?" And Gary's like. <laughs> Have you ever had a dog that when you come home, it's already waiting at the door for you? How did that dog know you were coming home? And Jane's just, or uh, Wyman's just like, I don't know, maybe he's hungry. Maybe he's waiting at the door because he's hungry. And Gary's like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true, too. I guess it could just be the dog's hungry, not ESP. <laughs> it was so bizarre. <laughs> oh, I, this, I'll tell you, these, these bookended interviews are the best thing this show has going for it. And it should just be the show. The show should just be bringing in actors who are kind of confused while they're there. And he asks them random questions about ESP. <laughs> That's it. That's the show. It's a better show. I, this is my favorite one just because it was like, she, she clearly she got a script and they're like, we've written some, some things here. Maybe you can say like you, you've heard of ESP or like a friend's experience. She's like, I'm not going to say that. I don't know anything about ESP. Just, I'm going to say, I don't know anything about it. I'll, I'll listen to this guy talk about it though. And they're like, okay, well, what about if we say, Maybe dogs have ESP and you can agree. And she's like, well, what if that dog was just hungry? I'm going to say, you know, if a dog's waiting at a door, it's probably just hungry. And they're like, okay, well, we'll still like at at the end of that, Gary will be like, well, I don't know. Could be ESP too. I'm like, great. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 
he's like i don't really know because i'm just an actor who they won't let be in the show gary's great though he's he's committed to his role they said in these interviews you're on the side of esp you believe it exists you're 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 a supporter of esp and he's just like am i in character he's like no you're playing yourself he's like no problem (laughs) it's very weird again i don't know if it would be better uh, if he was in character and they somehow had that connected to the to the show, but I just I just don't know how you can improve on a confused actress being in, being interviewed by Gary. <laughs> it's just so weird. I love it too. Like the and like these tacked on endings. It's nice. Like I love that he sits down with the actor. I love their they're 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 playing. They're just like we're our two care our two actors just talking. We're just two actors talking to each other. But it also both of the actresses feel like it's just like. They shot the episode, and a part of the contract was you also have to come back for this weird, like, talk yeah. show interstitial. And you could feel both of them are just like, this is the part I don't really want to do. Yeah. And they're just like, let's just get through it. They're like, we'll do one take. That's it. You get one shot at it. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, it is amazing. It's so good. I love it so much. It makes me, I know there's one other episode this season where he's not in it, and it makes me want to go watch just the interstitials to see who, who the poor <laughs> actress he has the interview is. I am telling you, I am really bummed that that's not the new format of the show because it's I'm, it's just a better show. It really is. All right, Jordan, let's get to ratings. What do you want to give? Dear Joan, we're going to scare you to death. Well, I think it's a pretty good show, um, pretty good episode. Again, I think this is better. This, I wish this is what the show is. I'm going to give this a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it for sure. I enjoyed it for sure. I think it's a mess in the way that all episodes of The Sixth Sense are a mess. Like, <laughs> yeah. with or without Dr. Michael Rhodes, like, it's all a bit, like, weird. It's kind of hard to follow. It all sort of makes sense by the end, but it's, like, it's, it's you know, it's a bit plotting, like, all the episodes, which is fine. I forgive it because I know the it's the a little bit of the era's fault, mm-hmm. a little bit of the screenwriting's fault. But Joan Crawford's just really coming in and just, like, you're watching someone come in who's just such a natural talent given just, like, middling material and still just like raising the bar so high and plus they you know we get the villain who really also like choose that scenery i'm gonna go 6.5 6.5 we're very close and then there's if i should die before i wake with jane wyman yeah like now i know you're right after we discussed it the ending doesn't quite work um more so than i even felt when i watched it but uh, i don't know if you agree with i i still i like this episode more i felt like it was doing something different and i liked the structure even though it's a bit of a mess i like the structure of this better about you discovering along with the character what's happening i i like this kind of format better so i'm gonna give this one a little bit better than the last one still pretty good 7.5 out of 10 jordan i agree with you i actually think this episode is a better structured episode i think it like is far smoother there's way less i mean there's still lots of plotting back and forth but it you know that's that's par for the course but i i think it's a cleaner episode i think it makes more sense i think you know i did just rag on the ending and i'm not i don't i'm not saying i'm wrong about that like i think the ending if you think about it doesn't make any sense at all but like it still builds to an ending that makes Mm. like it's a lot cleaner i think the episode's a lot cleaner i think what's happening is a lot cleaner i like it for a lot of those reasons i think the actress again is doing a great job um it's it's i think a better episode you're right than the last one i think just joan collin just going for it like saves that last episode uh but i still i i still feel like i'm like it's there's still something it's not it's still not quite 
Perfect. I, but I'm going to go with the same thing. 6.5, I think. 6.5. 6.5. Yeah, I agree. They're both good episodes of this show. Uh, I think it's just like this show itself has like these weird these weird flaws just built into its structure. Yeah. And it's and it would be interesting to to know. I'm going to assume neither of these episodes were were recut or do you think these were some of the ones that were recut into the like the shorter 30-minute episodes? I'm not sure. I, I was looking at the Joan Collins one a little bit just because there's a lot of writing around it because it's her final role and there's a lot of fans of it and stuff. And I saw somewhere that there is a feature-length version mm. of the Joan Collins episode somewhere. I could find, other than reading about it, I could find no evidence that's true. But someone's, I saw something somewhere that said there's a longer version. I'm not sure if that means someone saw the Night Gallery version and then there's just right. like typing on IMDb and referring to this one as longer version. So maybe this one had been mixed up in the Night Gallery one. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. But uh, yeah, I, it's hard to know. I didn't. I haven't done enough research to know exactly which ones ended up Night Gallery and which ones didn't. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised um, that there was a like feature length version of this. I'm not sure why you would have shot that um, with no, you know, no reason to have a. Uh, it's not like it was going to be recut as a TV movie or something. But yeah, it's it's funny to see this show with. Uh, it still has its kind of like flaws, like you're saying. There's a weird plotting element to it, um, and I think you, you made an interesting point there right at the end about this, the episode nine, is that it builds to something, which I think is something this show has been lacking throughout so far. It's like, it feels a lot like I, I, I've i kind of ragged on and complained over the last few podcasts that it feels like uh, Dr. Uh, Michael, what's his name? Dr. Michael? He sort of just like Rhodes. seems to kind of fumble his way through things. Yeah, Dr. Michael Rhodes, as opposed to like solving a case and you see it building and building and you go oh all these pieces go together it's more like he's like huh vision hmm vision hmm vision anyways it was uh the rancher the whole time you know um and i think this last episode episode nine at least had something where it felt like the person was solving some sort of mystery in some way um but we'll have to see what the, the the last few episodes are as we as we wrap up our time on the show. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Doctor Rhodes will be back. Um, but I mean, you think you're not wrong? Is I think it's 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 an issue in that like the stories they're choosing to tell are you know pretty classic ghost stories where one person's haunted and they have to solve the mystery. It only becomes more convoluted when you bring a third party in to solve someone else's mystery because it like mm-hmm. backseats the person who's having the visions. But then moves a person in who's not having the visions into the role of like solving them. So it's just like it's not a good fit. Whereas when we see these ones, these are just playing the classic tropes of like the person who's having the problem has to solve their own problem, which is just cleaner. It's just cleaner. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Anyway, that wraps it up for this episode. So we'll come back for more adventures of psychic abilities next week. Uh, In the meantime, though, we have bonus episodes for charity. Maybe you want to donate to a charity We've got them all listed on our website. They've all been selected by our past guests. We have this like our our continuum drag official-ish charities. They don't know they're our official charities, but they're official to us. If you donate there, you can send us back. You can get us to watch that one other episode where I don't know who the guest star is, but she gets her own episode, no Michael Rhodes. Make us go back and watch that. You make a donation to charity. We'll go back. We'll watch a show from, you know, we do these shows. Sometimes we take the escape pod. Sometimes we're doing a best of. We miss a bunch of episodes. You can get us to go back, watch an episode we've skipped. That's the idea behind it. You can read all about it. Continuumdrag.podbean.com's the uh, email or the web uh, web address, the URL, as the kids call it. Uh, you go back there. There's an explanation for how bonus episodes of charity work. If you want more of a personalized explanation, you can email us at continuumdrag.gmail.com. We'll tell you all about how you can make a donation to charity and uh, get a bonus episode of your choice. 
Um, other than that, though, we're going to have clips from these two episodes on, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on all our social media channels. Uh, lots of ghosts, lots of like that skeleton. That skeleton in the shower is going to be there. <laughs> um, there is one part. I don't think it will go, but uh, at one point uh, you see Jason, evil Jason, and he's using his ESP powers and he's got his fingers on his temples and you're like, ooh, he's projecting something. You know he's got ESP. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than Dr. Michael. It just walks around like, oh, visions. It did make me wonder if they'd just been doing this for weeks with to no success. They hadn't had any like luck at all, but they've all just been sitting there rubbing their temples like, I wonder if this is working. <laughs> That's a better show. Anyway, social media. You can see all the clips from that. Acting your drinks, the handle there. But that wraps it up for this episode. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>